Well, welcome and thank you so much for joining us and for all of your grace with our confused timing. No problem. You're forgiven. <laughs> Good. So um, best friends again. <laughs> That's all. Hi, everyone. It's Stacy. Thank you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> wish, wish granted. You can take it off your bucket list now, Courtney. That's good. That's good. I like please that. Have, please have a more inspirational bucket list than just that. <laughs> no, no, Stacey, this is it. I'm I'm good now. <laughs> You're peaking? That's it. Yeah, I've peaked. I, I can go chill out now, finally. <laughs> Stacey is a fantasy author and school teacher living on the Gold Coast in Australia with her husband and two kids. She is known on social media for relentlessly bothering her husband with ridiculous antics, as well as skits entitled Me vs. Brain. Stacy released the first book in her Glacian trilogy, Ledge, in September of 2022. You have a beautiful reading voice. Oh, she does. You. I make her do it. She does, isn't she? Oh my gosh, she's so articulate. I was like, wow. Mm-hmm. You want to narrate my books? <laughs> yes. Yes, I do. <laughs> that would be so cool. Yes, uh, Gabby's uh, has I think has a lovely voice. We've talked a lot about her accent too uh, in earlier episodes, oh, I which I think is um, it's an accent for me, not an accent for <laughs> for Gabby probably, <laughs> but it's no. fantastic. I love that accent. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, thank you. I love it. I've just spent the last little while listening to audition audio files, like that they mm-hmm. sent over when they're finding a narrator for the audio book. So they sent over like ten of them, and so I'm just being like in tune. To- people's voices like trying to listen to it and then I heard yours and was like that's the one that's oh the that that's but the one that makes me so happy <laughs> <laughs> that's the voice that I want well Hi. we um <laughs> we actually we are recording this so we have proof that that's what you said <laughs> oh damn it uh, yeah. I pay zero dollars an hour uh, <laughs> I'll still take no it benefits <laughs> <laughs> Oh man. Bragging rights though. Those are included, I'm sure. Do you like listening to audiobooks? Is that something that you generally enjoy outside of like Oh yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And not before I started writing professionally and not before I started having to do this as a job. So before then I had like this thing that you guys might be familiar with. It's called time. And it's (laughs) when um you have enough of it to like sit down and just immerse Mm. yourself in a book and I'm the type of person as well where uh, I need like large blocks of time to truly enjoy a book I'm I'm not very good at just reading for 20 minutes and putting it down Mm. and picking up again for another 10 and putting it down and so I was used to reading that way and then all this stuff sort of blew up and suddenly I was a teacher and a mum and I was an author as well and life got incredibly busy and I was so grateful for it but I just found that I had no more time to read and audiobooks is one of the only ways that I can truly enjoy it because I can just do it while I'm doing other things. And I mm-hmm. love that about audiobooks. So I'm just, yeah, I just forever have these big headphones on my head. And it's like also a nice little beacon. It's a nice little warning to my children. <laughs> like, Leave me alone, you know? It's a very nice way I do of know. saying that. <laughs> yeah, I have these babies on. And if my kids approach, like I can just give them this look, I can just... I know people can't see me, but I'm just holding my finger up and waving right now. I'm just like, mm, 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 mm. and like for all that, you know, I'm in a very important phone call right now. Right. You know? That's. I mean, I used to do this uh, when I used to work in an office. I used to just keep my headphones on all the time so that people wouldn't talk. Yeah. It's like people are like, leave me alone. <laughs> I love that for you. It's the same reason that I wear this on my like, public transport. Yeah. Or don't, like, don't talk I'm to me. Like, don't talk to me. Don't ask me questions. 
just leave me away. Can't hear you. That's I'm perfect. sorry. I have signed off. Yeah. So um, no, I'm okay. I actually do, in fact, love my children. I pay attention to them when <laughs> it says it's about to say that I don't. But um, yeah, I love audiobooks now. Love them. And when you were listening to the voice actors who were doing samples of the audiobook, did you have an idea in your head? Well, I'm sure that you did when you were writing the characters of what they sound yeah. like and sort of how they come across. How does that differ when you hear somebody else reading your book back to you? Is that, does it feel like the story is still the same as what you imagined it? Does it add a different dimension in a way that's super interesting? What what sort of things do you discover about your own world when somebody else is narrating it to you? Yeah, it's been such an interesting experience. And um, so for my first book, Ledge, when I got the audio files for that, I sort of was completely unaware of how all of this worked. And um, I got those audio files over and they said, so just have a listen to the samples and just tell us which one you love best. That's literally all you have to do. So I started going through them and they had asked me prior to auditioning people, what kind of voice are you looking for? Do you want a female voice, a male voice? Um, And if so, what kind of accent? And I said specifically that I wanted a BBC pronunciation British female accent. Like that's how I hear the story in my head. And it makes sense to me if I was to hear it back and that anything else would sound jarring to me. And they were like, yep, that's incredibly normal for like a, you know, a fantasy story set on like medieval, like European medieval kind of thing. They said it's very common. So I was like, great, I'm glad we're on the same track. They sent me the audio files and I started to listen to them back. And even though they all had that pronunciation, they all had that accent Um, They were all, for the most part, female voices. They still sent through a couple of male voices just in case. I would listen to them and and automatically they just sounded so jarring to me Mm. if they weren't um, what I was hearing in my head. And then I thought, well, I might not ever find that voice that I had in my head. I had no idea how in tune I was to it. I had no idea how attached I was to it until I started listening to audio files and going, no, that's not not how it's supposed to sound even though they were beautiful readers and obviously this is what they do for a job. So, you know, they're obviously professionals. They're obviously good at what they do every single file. But I found one and the second I listened to it, I was like, that's it. That's that's the voice that I have Aww. in my head. And so straight away I was like, it's this one. And my publishers even then went, oh, but also what about this one that we sent to you because we all like that one. And I was still like, <laughs> she, gorgeous, beautiful, love her, iconic, but it's this one. I'm sorry, but it's this one. And they were like, okay, well, if it's that one, it's that one. And they said to me that it actually happens all the time with their authors, that quite often it's one person or it's none of them. So it's quite a common thing. But, yeah, it's a really weird, really, really weird experience listening to different people read your story like that in such a theatrical way as well. It's really fun, though. And I always think about how, because both of us are writers, and sometimes people will read something back to me that I've written, and the emphasis as well sometimes falls in different places. Yeah. And that to me is really interesting because it it almost changes the meaning of a sentence or the tone of something. Is that something that you weigh in on as well? Or it just like, once you've chosen the voice, they do the whole thing. And do you then have to listen to it afterwards and go back and go, well, it's kind of changing a little bit. No, no, this... No, there's almost no note exchange between, or at least in my case, I don't know if it's the same for everyone, but, um, you yeah, know, there's no note exchange in between myself and the narrator. So that all happens prior to, and then afterwards, once it's recorded, 
supported and approved by the publishers and not me, then that's it. So I'll provide notes on pronunciation of names, places, and any like made up language that I've put into the book, for example. I'll make sure that um, I write, have to write a big word document detailing all of those things and how I've like those names, places, languages pronounced. Mm-hmm. And after that, it's all passed over. So you do listen to it back and go, no, she's supposed to be a bit angrier there. Like that was silent yeah. angry. I want like all out. Ang- so you do do that. Um, yeah. But for the most part, I thought that like the narrator for Legend nailed it. Obviously, we're re- recording for Chasm, so I haven't heard what's going on for the second book yet. But speaking to other authors, they feel the same way. They sort of go, if you make a good choice with your narrator, if you go with your gut instinct and like that, that that's the voice for my book. Most of the time they get it. Like most of the time they really do nail it. Mm-hmm. Um, and also everyone's interpretation of your book is going to be different to your own yeah. and you can't expect them to have the same interpretation. It would be unreasonable for you to um, expect them to have the same inflection and that you heard in your head for every sentence. That's just not a possibility. It's still an interesting experience listening to it back and seeing the way it was interpreted by someone who was actually reading it in a dramatic way, in a theatrical way. So much fun, though. You mentioned Chasm, which I think that comes out in September, right? It does. How is it to have a second book coming out? Weird. I'm sort of, I was having a chat to my friend this morning about the fact that I'm sort of flailing. Because in book one, it felt like there's there's so much anticipation leading up to book one and I was marketing the hell out of it and I was really putting all of myself into the promotion of it because I thought this is my chance, like this is my one chance to do this properly and to do this to the best of my ability and it's going to dictate how the rest of my writing career goes and that's how it's truly how it felt. I put a lot of pressure on myself. So I was working overtime always to not only try and make the edits perfect and everything, but to to really try and sell it, to really try and market it, probably giving myself the best chance to stay in this career because I love it so much and I wanted the longevity. This time around, I'm so much, like, I'm so much more relaxed and I don't know if that's a good thing. I feel like, does that mean I've just neglected to promote it properly <laughs> or market it or I haven't put I haven't put as much effort into it this time around? I don't know, but I'm also just sort of enjoying this part so much more than I was this time last year because Ledge released in September last year as well. So it's sort of like I'm reliving the same year mm-hmm. over again, but I'm just a little bit more chill this time. I think it's just that I'm not putting as much pressure on myself to do everything perfectly and realizing that like the readers are going to love it or they're not going to love it. And there's very mm-hmm. little that I can do about it, no matter how much I market it. So yeah, it's definitely a very different feeling this time around. And uh, we will see whether or not I've dropped the ball (laughs) when the second (laughs) one comes out. Well, just to say, um, I did buy Ledge and I will buy Chasm. So you marketed it to me. (laughs) (laughs) That's the hope. I hope that I heard enough feelings that they'll be like, fine, I'll buy the second one. That's, yeah, yeah, exactly. Keep hurting feelings. (laughs) (laughs) It's part of why I love the job. <laughs> the only real way to write is to hurt everybody's feelings. So including my own, by the way. Yes. Yeah. I think that's, <laughs> that's part of the write. reason you we guys write. would know. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean the world complain about us like you hurt my feelings. You're like, I hurt my own feelings. So if you guys are getting recuperated, like I would like a part of that too. Yeah. I actually <laughs> yeah. feel like when um I've actually had a very bad day. I'm going to write something that will 
not only hurt my feelings, but I think it's it's good to hurt someone else then. <laughs> like absolutely, that, that's I think the so only cathartic. thing I can do. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, you don't get sent to jail for that, you know. I think I, that's a safe way. Yeah, to deal with your feelings. like a, a legal kind of abuse, I suppose. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we've gone down a dark road. <laughs> a legal kind of abuse. Yeah, I mean, I don't know, or or like maybe like ethically sanctioned, like it's fine. Yeah. I don't know. Again, <laughs> He's a perfectly so worded. Just, just <laughs> I, I, I do. I do daylight in the mental health world. So my my feelings get hurt uh, all the time. <laughs> so. Yeah. I'm a teacher, so that's yeah. like a lesser volume of that, but I get my feelings hurt on a daily oh, basis. You absolutely well, do. Outside yeah. world, I'm perfectly entitled to you teach really little kids, within my you? rights. Uh, elementary, so I'm in mm. fifth grade this year. But, yeah, I'm, like, trained from what we call prep and what I think you guys call, like, maybe pre-K or mm. kindergarten mm-hmm. so we, I teach from prep to year nine is what I'm trained for but I I'm usually in the year three year four year five just depending on the year and where I get placed mm. slotted in in the old classroom but yeah I get my feelings set every single day by those yeah, I was just buzzers. about to say so I'm perfectly like, within my those age, <laughs> that age yeah. yeah oh yeah they're, just so they're, honest hurt people hurt people yeah but they've got the <laughs> vocabulary <laughs> They got the vocabulary to to support it, and it's concerning. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, actually, this you know th- this is kind of an interesting. It's bringing up an interesting um, question for me because as someone who's also doing a lot of stuff during the day, having to squeeze in like life, <laughs> you know, can you just kind of talk about what that's like for you? You know, I mean, you do all these. By the way, I love your TikToks. Um, you know, they make Thank me you. laugh. I show them to my partner and he's like, oh my gosh, that's just like us. Like, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, so anyway, I love that so many people yeah. say that. I'm like, yeah, no, I, feel, I feel like this is what real couples well, who are like also friends. Yeah, exactly. I, I feel like this is mostly how we interact with each other. Yeah. Have um, you trained him to growl at you without prompting now? Or what is that like? Oh, absolutely not. That's no. good. Like, I, I need everyone <laughs> to understand that he's absolutely resistant to any kind Uh-oh. of molding at all. But, like, okay. part of the reason why that's funny and it was to <laughs> my husband and I from the beginning is that we are like the opposite of like a cute, cuddly, romantic couple. And we've never been that way. Like it took a little while for people to realize that we were dating because they just thought that we were friends because of the way we interacted with each other. And we're like, oh no, like we're, we're actually together. And they're like, oh, I thought you guys were just joking around, to be honest. Because <laughs> we like to like push and shove each other and stuff. And like I'd jump on him and he'd headlock me. And like we, you know, and we'd just be ridiculous. And we've always been that way. And um, and then I watched, but then I'm I'm such a, a romantic at heart that people don't get it they're like that's not who I expect you to to sort of end up with in that kind of dynamic in that kind of relationship and I've always been obsessed with like romance books and romance movies and I've always been really into it and um and I'm such a sucker for it that they're like are you sure that's what you want and I'm like oh yeah I can't handle the romance in real life like that to me is mortifying (laughs) the thought of like someone proposing to me in a public domain where there was anyone else at all there to see it yeah like any kind of massive displays of like or like love proclamations I'm like 
absolutely not. You can get that away from me right now. I need you to know that that remains fictional for me. But it's still like this really funny dichotomy that I have in my head where I love romance, but I also just don't want to be a part of it. And so, um, but there's been so many times in our relationship where I've been reading a book and I look at the book and I look at the way that the dude is acting in the book or the way she's acting. And then I just look at Michael who, who then sees me and like throws food at my face or something. And I'm like, are we doing it wrong? Well, you're not because I'm like, the same way with my partner and he's when, okay, when I read stuff to him and I'm like oh look at this TikTok he's like I would never do that <laughs> you know they have like the the trending one right yeah. now where like the guy's leaning on the door frame and I was like can you do that and he's like no <laughs> yeah so Michael and I did that and he he legitimately just turned into a slut and was like dropping <laughs> down on the door and like doing the splits and like lifting a leg up and everything like it, like everything's a joke everything's a joke but that's why he's perfect for those TikToks because I know he's going to be an absolute fool. Like, I know he's going to act like an idiot. If I put a camera in his face and like get all whingy and ask him to do something, he's absolutely going to make a fool of himself. And I'm just sitting there cashing in on it. I'm like, yep, great job, honey. Just keep, <laughs> keep being an idiot. Everything's going to be fine. And then I post it and I'm like, mm, it's a day's work. Done. <laughs> Yeah, so it's a perfect setup for me. But um, I, I love making those because so many people are like, yes, this is me and my husband together. I'm like, yeah, but, like, that's a good relationship. Like, you guys play, you have fun, you're friends, like, you get along. Like, it, it, no one's screaming, angry, fighting. Uh, everyone's just happy and getting along and being an idiot and still being a child, and I think that's kind of beautiful. But it's taken me a little while to realise that. I feel like romance books and romance movies have gaslit me my entire life into thinking that perhaps... <laughs> And that's just not me and it's not us and it's never going to be. We're always going to be just idiots who at some point fell in love and decided to get married and have babies but still act like children. Yeah, and it's never going to change. So why not Why not cash in on it, you know? Why not exploit him? Who's to say that I can't? That sounds pretty good to me. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's not saying you can't. And, well, if he is, then right. you're definitely not, you're ignoring him, but Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's not, he's not winching and complaining. Oh, good. Like I said, I'll put a camera in his face and he automatically just started twerking on the doorframe. Just to <laughs> like, what do you think I'm going to do? As if I'm not going to post that. Of course I'm going to post it. Yes, I love Anyone it. from me. Well, I'm, I'm curious about it. First. So I love the, the whole entertainment factor and I laugh all of the time when I see your, your TikToks and your reels. But as a, a storyteller and somebody who's also trying to think about how to create content, I have a question from sort of the background of how it happens. How much time and effort does it take you to put into creating social media content? And do you have advice for people who are thinking about how to kind of move into that space without investing a huge amount of time? Because when I think about it personally, I'm always like, I'd rather write, but also mm -hmm. like, yeah. I know that I need to be interacting. And, you know, where is that line? How much energy do I need to put into it? Yeah, it's such a tricky one to navigate as well. And I haven't perfected it, not by any means. And I struggle with it all the time, trying to find a balance between the two. Today's a great example of that. So my week is pretty structured at the moment to try and fit everything in. But I work Wednesday, Thursday, Friday as a part-time teacher. And then I have Monday, Tuesdays at home, which is fantastic. It's the first time that's happened in my life. And both of my children are uh, school age now. My youngest just started school. So it means Monday and Tuesday they're at school. They're not at home with me anymore. It's been a huge help. But now I'm stuck with this, like, so do I spend today making 
social media content or do I write or do I try and do both? And I struggle with that every single week. The short answer to that is I probably spend around three to four hours a week making social media content, but then there's more hours that go into that just interacting. So just Mm -hmm. editing the content before I put put it up, um, answering the comments, making sure that I'm doing my due diligence with other people's accounts as well, because I think that's really important if you'd like to remain in that community is that you need to be giving back what you're getting. Mm-hmm. Um, so I make sure that I, I'm scrolling through and I'm keeping up to date and I'm <clears throat> liking and commenting on everyone else's content as well. And, and I enjoy doing that. Like that's really fun for me. And I love that community that we have together online when they're not being, you know, super toxic and horrendous to each other. <laughs> but when it's nice and fluffy and I, f- I feel like I found my nice little corner that's nice and safe on there as well. So that's not as scary as it might have been in the past, going online and interacting with strangers. Uh, it doesn't feel that way anymore, but I, I think it's really important to do. But as much as I feel like it's really important to do, it's also a massive distraction from your core business, which is writing that damn draft you know, and it's not going to get written unless you put some serious hours into it. But spending four hours a week plus another, you know, three, four, five hours um, interacting with social media and then the hours that you lose just aimlessly scrolling because you get lost in the rabbit hole of it, Mm -hmm. that's a huge time suck. I tend to put certain parameters in for myself. So I, I know that I only need to post on, I have Instagram and TikTok and those are the platforms that I focus on. I don't usually delve too far outside of that. So I don't have my own author Facebook page, for example. I have a Twitter that I I post on sporadically when I feel inspired, but I have no set schedule for. I know that Instagram and TikTok are where I work best because I I share video and those are video sharing platforms or the best video sharing platforms. So I stick to what I know. I stick to those ones and focus my efforts on those. I know I only need to post one reel, one TikTok a week, but I'd like to do two a week. Um, So just depending on what kind of week I'm having with the family, with work and everything dictates whether or not I post one or two, but that's the goal. And then I try to make sure that I'm posting a couple of stories on on Instagram every day so that my Instagram stories are are constant. But the Instagram stories things is super easy because most of the time people are sharing things or tagging me and and I just share them on. Um, It takes two seconds to do that. So I sort of have that schedule in my mind and then I just have to try and find some time throughout the week to do that. And I also try and make sure that I literally put my phone all the way away from me when I am writing and I kind of keep that time sacred. So on on a Monday or Tuesday, I write on both of those days and I sort of have a word count in mind that I'd like to reach. So I try and write about um, somewhere between five and 6,000 words a week and I've got two days to do as much of that as I can. And whatever I don't get done out of that, I have to make up for it on in the night times on on other days of the week. So um, yeah, somehow it kind of all works out eventually. But it's definitely not it's not something that works every week, it, and it's really hard every week as well. And it's not something that I've perfected by any means. But I know it has to be done. I know that I can't sit here and and write my silly books and and send it to my publishers and then sit in the background and go, oh, like they'll sell, it'll be fine. I know that that's not how this world works. And so I do have to put some time and energy into the social media side, whether I like it or not. 
it's just like this bittersweet pill that we all have to swallow when we're writers. It's the world we live in now. So we we have to dedicate some time to it no matter what. So I don't know, at the end of every week, I sort of look at that week and go, well, that happened. Somehow I managed to fit it in. Don't know if it will happen again next week, but we can hope for the best and and then, you know, rinse and repeat. But life is crazy. I've got two kids that play lots of sport after school. Sometimes I'm like, you know, if I was a terrible mum, this would be so much easier. Like if I was a really bad parent and I didn't take my kids to any after school activities and I didn't take them to kids' birthday parties and I didn't want to spend time with them and like I, you know, and I did it like, I'd just be sitting here chilling like life would be so much easier just to write my silly books and make my silly content and I'd go to work and come home. But um, they, at the end of the day, I like all of my writing, all of my social media content, all the work that I have to do at school, all of that falls second to whatever it is that they need. So there are so many weeks when none of that stuff is done because we just have a full-on week with the kids and and all the activities that they're doing and that needs to come first. So you just take it week by week and you do what you can. At least that's what I do. I'm not going to say it works perfectly, but <laughs> somehow it gets done. Well, it's good to hear. I mean, I, I feel that acutely. So I think yeah. life is messy and you kind of have to roll with the punches. and Very, very chaotic. Be willing to, right. to kind of adapt as it goes. Yeah, I try not to look too far ahead as well. I think that helps too. I just look in like in terms of the week. I look at the week, I look at how I'm going to fit things in and I don't worry about next week until it's upon me. And when you think in the long term, is being a full, full-time full author something that you would love to do at some point? Or yeah, definitely. It's definitely the goal and it's not because I don't like teaching. I do like teaching now, but there's not a lot of incentive to be, remain a teacher at the moment. It's a really, really hard industry to work in, but it's also just very taxing on family life, whereas I don't feel like writing is as much all work is taxing on family life when you've got kids and husband and a household to maintain but I feel like writing gives us like this freedom like it's like it's an outlet for me and it's cathartic and it's something quiet that I do in my own time and and then when I put it down I can turn around and socialize and and interact with other human beings and not feel exhausted by human interaction Whereas teaching, I feel like, is almost the opposite of that. I almost sometimes feel like I'm, I either give everything to teaching while I'm at school and then when I come home I'm empty and I've got nothing left or I don't give what I should be giving when I'm at school so that I have enough for when I come home. That doesn't feel like a very healthy balance. Yeah. And it hasn't for a very long time. And every teacher that I've ever known feels the exact same way mm-hmm. about their work where it's almost like you have to pick uh, between who you give all of your energy to because it is it really does take so much out of you um so it, I love 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 writing but the real reason why I want to do it full-time is just so that I've got like this lovely work-life balance back in my life where I feel like I can give all of my energy to the people that I love and you know, like my family my kids and still feel uh, fulfilled because I do like working and I think uh, I'd be a bit lost if I didn't work at all or, or anything like that. So I like being busy, but there's just yeah. a sort of certain type of busy that I'm seeking, I think. Yeah. One of my best friends, um, she teaches and she writes as well. And she said to me, because she teaches really young kids, um, and she mm. said the 
because you're talking about the energy and I'm just thinking about the way that she framed it was when you're teaching uh, and she hasn't taught very much older until now she's teaching adults but she said with the little kids you're almost performing in a way and so it takes a yeah. different type of energy to stand up in front of these people and try to connect with them in a way where it's you are in a way like an actor so you're still yeah. bringing yourself there but then when you're writing it's very much quieter in the sense that you get to be yourself and express your creativity in a way that is not performative because you only really need to think about the audience that it's going to reach at a later stage um, and that's almost like a different part of the brain to me at least when I think about like the editing is different to the creating um, but still it feels quieter and it's not you, you don't feel like you're standing up in front of a bunch of people until much later on. Absolutely I, I, I don't ever feel more myself than when I'm writing and it feels very I know other writers talk about this a lot, um, so it's probably like a beaten horse at this point, but it feels very pure um, to yourself when you're just writing what you you love to write because there's no interference coming in from anything outside of you. Teaching is the opposite of that. It's incredibly collaborative in every sense of the word. Um, almost nothing is yours completely. Even your classroom isn't at this point. Um, there's interference from so many different corners all the time. It's very loud. It's very chaotic and there's so many wonderful parts to it but you're exactly right when you're when you're teaching especially young children you're performing you've got to be constantly engaging um, and the second you're not as the second everything starts to sort of crumble starts to fall apart and whilst that used to bring me so much joy and I still like doing it um, by the end of the day I can feel that energy depletion and I can feel me coming home and feeling like I've got to garner some of that back so that I'm not this log sitting on the couch with my cup of tea going, no one talked to me. Like my, I, I don't, I can't afford to do that. And it's not fair for me to do that. So yeah, it's, it's like this weird balance that we've all got to find, but writing's allowing me to do that. I, like I said, I work part-time this year. So on Mondays and Tuesdays, I write the transformation in myself just on those two days on the weekend, knowing that I've got four days before I'm back at work again is insane. I pick up my kids and I'm like the happiest mum in the world. And we come home and we play all afternoon. And I'm just like, I just want to be this every day. I want to be able to take my kids to school and come home and be excited for the work that I'm doing. And even on the hard days where you feel like you're the worst writer in the world, at least you're doing it, you know, at least you're creating something that's yours. At least you can, you know, if at least whatever fails only fails for that day and the next day it will be completely different again. Um, and there's no carryover and you're only accountable to yourself. I just feel so fulfilled by doing this and I think it allows me to like be this bright, happy, energetic person in the afternoons and um, it's what I want for life. So I'm definitely seeking to do it full time, but that in itself is a big ask in the climate that we're in at the moment to be a writer full time. It almost feels intangible or unachievable or at least that was my frame of mind probably two years ago when I was writing as a hobby you know, um, and I've been doing this as a hobby since I was like, like most of us, just been doing it as a as a hobby, as a method of catharsis since I was about eighteen, and took it seriously sometimes, but most of the time I didn't, because I honestly just thought it's just not something that you can do full time and support a family and support yourself. But now it's starting to look achievable. So if I keep working at it and I don't drop too many balls and I keep like you know 
keep doing all this social media stuff that takes up all your time, then maybe, maybe it can become achievable. Well, for what it's worth, Stacey, I do think you'll get there. Thank you. I appreciate yeah. that. But it's, um, yeah, I wish we lived in a climate where we could all get there, where yeah. this is something that we could all choose to do. I wish it was a little bit more accessible. It feels like there's so many barriers, so many hoops we need to jump through in order to to reach any level of success in this industry. It's sort of like the price we pay for doing something that we love to do. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, we keep where all we can do is work at it, keep going, keep slogging through and hope that we make it through to the other side and then hope that we can stay there. That's the other point is that <laughs> yeah. there's no job security here. <laughs> you know, I think too, though, it really does kind of make me think in terms of like why we write, you know, beyond even just the catharsis of it, um, but also just to have that hope because so many stories are really about people making it through some tough shit however that looks and finding a resolution at the end of it and we may we might not know what that looks like at the end but that always happens you know and I think there's something about story like that's why like I'm like I have to keep hoping you know I have to keep going and um, there's just no other choice yeah I think that's kind of beautiful and you're right like I beyond catharsis there's a reason that we write story and I think like hope is one of those main reasons definitely because it's crappy out here (laughs) it's real hard out here (laughs) it's not easy (laughs) no it's not it's terrible sometimes oh yeah and real hard like and I think you know so many people so many people I feel like who listen to this podcast have to interact with other people on some level I feel like that's true and I just think that it's such a tough time to be a human in the world right now and you know I mean I I think bridging some of those spaces through story like I mean that I I know there's so many times like I you know I've had a shit day and I'm just like I just need to like get lost in someone else's stuff and like there's a reason people read there's a reason people write yeah, absolutely. Well, I, I I glean the same thing from writing that I do from reading that escapism comes from me in both forms, which feels like I've cheated fate somehow. I like, how did I find this thing that can potentially earn me money that doesn't feel like work? Mm-hmm. Um, it feels like the lottery sometimes. And then there's other days where it feels like a fuck ton of work, you know, <laughs> it's like. I would love to hear more about your journey, but also about how because we're talking about how difficult it is to be a human in this world and to be a storyteller <laughs> as well. But, you know, can, can you tell us a bit about what your writing journey has been like and then what it's been like writing a second book? I know a lot of writers who say after they've written the first one, the second one is much harder because it just feels like they have to live up to something now um, after working so hard to yeah. kind of break in the, the attention and the focus kind of shifts into something else. Can you speak to that a bit? Yeah, sure. I'll tell you about my little writing journey first, if you like. Yeah. And I'll try and keep it to under half an hour. <laughs> Sounds <laughs> great. <laughs> so just like just like make some kind of hand motion at me once I, I get too rambly. So like I said before, I've just been writing as a hobby since I was about 18. I thought being the author would be the coolest job in the world, but thought that's so unattainable. So I was um, I was writing full-length novels for funsies. And they were like awful and and had like just like terribly juvenile things running through them. And they were mostly about vampires. 
and I but I thought I'd better do the right thing and go to university because my my second choice was to be a teacher so I did that but was writing the entire time I tried to pitch a couple of times to agents in Australia and we have like maybe three of them here (laughs) there's really not that many we don't really have like a big booming publishing industry here so I tried to pitch a couple of times with no real rigor you know I sort of uh, I was still very I didn't have enough self-worth in this and I didn't have I wasn't long enough in the tooth to be able to receive a rejection and take it well so when I did get the email saying thanks so much for this I'm gonna pass I was <laughs> like just weeping in a corner even though it was a lovely rejection you know so it kind of it put me off a little bit like I said just very young and very immature but I really did try hard to like learn myself good in this I didn't have a creative writing degree I hadn't done any formal training in this and I so I I sought free things from like public libraries and um, the Queensland Writers Centre here where they have these free programs or cheap programs where you can just go along and talk to an author and workshop and, and do different things so I sought out things like that to try and improve to try and become like not shit and uh, but really never thought that I got there every manuscript that I liked I loved as I was writing it and then I got to the end and went this is uh, like this is actually terrible I should burn this and never let it see the light of day so it just stayed on my desktop and I did nothing with it at all and that continued for a good 10 years of me just writing loving it thinking I'm going to sell this and then going I cannot this can't come into contact with anyone's eyes lest it blind them and um, the pandemic hit and I had all this time Um, this Groundhog Day sensation that we were experiencing at home where I was just seeking something else. And I was writing, I was beginning to write a book at the time and I wasn't enjoying it at all. I hadn't really formally, uh, like properly uh, formed the idea of the book and the premise of the book and I wasn't feeling it. And so I put it away and I downloaded TikTok, which is what all productive people do when they've got time on their hands. And I was scrolling and I discovered BookTok and I started following lots of content creators and had so much fun in that space and eventually got brave enough to make my own content because I thought I know so much about books and I just don't have people in my life that read as avidly as I did. So I made a couple of videos that did nothing and then I I made one that did something. I posted some silly video where I was pretending I was romance characters sitting in an an AA-style meeting together um, talking about their, like, annoying characteristics and trying to get help for them. And um, and I posted it and went to bed. And when I woke up in the morning and opened it up, it had like hundreds of thousands of views out of nowhere. And at that point, I had a, I had a grand total of three followers. And I was super proud of that. And uh, and all of a sudden, I had like a thousand right overnight, and it was bizarre. And I thought, I'm going to open this up, and my boss is going to be in the comments, and there's going to be angry romance authors who are like, "Don't diss my genre." And, like I've made a huge mistake and it wasn't that at all it was people that were enjoying the joke of it and it was romance authors giving me ideas to make a new one and and it was wonderful and it was such a dopamine hit as you can imagine and so of course I made like 20 more and um, I told no one in my real life about this at all my husband's a shift worker so he works he could he works night shifts a lot and um, so I would just kind of make them when I was sitting at home and the kids had like I'd put the kids to bed and I was sitting there and I'm like, oh, I might make it another TikTok. And um, so he had no idea. 
And then eventually I thought, well, I've got 11,000 followers now and it's just becoming more and more likely that someone from our real life is going to see it and be like, hey, you're you're like, I saw that and Michael's not going to know. That seems unfair. I should tell him. So I told him I was making videos of myself and putting them on the internet, which is not the way that you want to explain that to your husband. And he was like, what, what videos are you making? So I showed him and I was like, books, see, Stace Bookspace. I even made myself a really cringy MSN name. And he was like, well, you have 11,000 people listening to you talk about books? I'm like, yeah. It's like, oh, my God, what are you planning to do with this? And I was like, I don't know, maybe some publishers will send me some free books or something. Like, that sounds great. I see people, like, you know, doing, like, that unhaul, like, they, they get sent, like, PR packages and stuff. It sounds bomb. I want a piece of that. And he was like, why don't you try selling them one of your books you fucking idiot. And I was like, that's a great idea. He's the real brains of the family. Um, but I'm not. And so I looked at my desktop and all my existing manuscripts and was like, absolutely not. Once again, I had vowed that these would not um, ruin society. And so I was like, I've got a new book idea. And thankfully, Book Talk was so obsessed with romanticy. And that was like my thing. And I was like, this is perfect because I love writing romanticy. And I had um, an idea that I'd been had been tumbling around the brain for a while, a completely new one. And so I fleshed it out a bit more and I was like, this is the one. And I was so motivated. And I pumped up that book um, in like four months or something and then um, edited it in another in another month. So I had this book, this fully formed book there in, a, in about five months' time and passed it on to a freelance editor and I learned myself real good in self-publishing and I'd never considered self-publishing before, but I thought this is my only way to get into this industry is if I do it myself. And I was so thrilled and I was making content and the following was growing. And by the time I sort of finished the book, I had something around like 100,000 followers or thereabouts on TikTok. And I released this, um, this video where I finally explained what the book was about, what it was going to be called and had a cover. So showed the cover and said it's available for pre-order. And I thought that that video would tank. By then I had sort of learned that if I'm funny and goofy and silly and making fun of myself and my husband and the videos do well, and if I'm serious at all or doing any form of self-promotion, the videos tank. And um, and it didn't. It, surprisingly, it did quite well. Certainly didn't go viral, but sort of by the end of the week, it had something like 400,000 views and it was so much more than I ever could have imagined. And people had been waiting in the wings for me to like announce this, you know, I had teased it and I had spoken about how I was writing a book and there have just been all these lovely supporters in the background, just like, let us know, like our credit cards are ready. We want like, let's do this. And they had no idea what the book was about. They didn't know the title. They knew the genre and that was it. They knew that I was writing a fantasy romance novel and that was all they knew. They, there's nowhere that they could have gone to see if I was worth my salt. Like there was nowhere that, where they could read my previous writing to see if like it like I was worth their time and attention and yet they were like no no we're like we're willing to buy it anyway it was just the most bizarre thing and um it was the power of social media I suppose and by the end of that week after that video of me saying you can pre-order now and I'm going to release this bad boy in two weeks in two months I had these three emails sitting in my inbox and two were from publishing houses and one was from a literary agent and all of them had seen that one TikTok and said, 
like, can we see your manuscript? Can you send it to us? And I was like, okay, sure. Like, why not? Like, what's the worst thing that could happen? I, I, I guess. And I'd sort of sent manuscripts to agents and publishing houses in the past. And I, from that experience, I knew like they'll probably get back to me in four or five months, at which time this book will already be released and out in the world. So who cares? I'll just send them to them. It'd be fun to get the feedback. So I sent it off to all three of them thinking nothing of it, literally nothing. I thought by the time they get back to me, it'll be too late. But the agent got back to me a week later. And she asked for a meeting and in the meeting she was like, I want to sign you and here's why I want to sign you. And she was pitching herself and I was sitting there going, are you trying to convince me? Shouldn't I be trying to convince you? Like I was sitting here in this goofy-ass hoodie in front of this computer like this going, why does she keep trying to pitch herself to me? I don't understand. Should I not be trying to, like I had like a sheet of notes of me going like I'm very reliable, um, like I I I am willing to bend over backwards. I will literally do cartwheels on film if you tell me it will sell books. Um, like, what do you want me to do? I'm willing to do it. <laughs> like, and and she, it was the opposite. She was like, no, no, my job is to pitch myself to you. Anyway, she really wanted to sign me, but I was still self-publishing this thing. And she was like, I can help you with foreign translation rights, with an audiobook deal, with all these other things. And I was like, well, yeah, for sure. I like, there's no way I'm going to be able to handle that on my own. So I definitely need you. So I completely agreed and um, signed on with her. And then another week later, one of the publishing houses came back and they were like, Stacey, we loved it. It was great but we're here in Australia, we don't have a fantasy sort of team. So what we'd like to do is we'd like to pass this on to our American counterpart and the head honchos there. We want to pass it to them who do have a fantasy team and we want them to take care of it. So we're going to pass on the manuscript and we're going to see if we can get their approval. And um, I was like, this feels like something I should run past my agent. So I quickly sent her a text message and said, just so you know, um, like Penguin Random House, has Letch and they're sending it to America. Like, I don't know why. I think it's because Penguin Random House in Australia is much, much smaller and they don't have a fantasy team, something like that. I'm going to forward you the email. And she called me within minutes and she was like, what do you mean that a publishing house, this big has your manuscript, what do you mean they have it? It's like, well, they asked for it, so I gave it to them. She's like, okay, that's great. Did you want to? run by me with the email they sent to you initially. So I sent her everything and she's like, okay, well, I'm just going to tell you that this is like great news, but um, are you self-publishing this thing or traditionally publishing it? I'm confused. And I'm like, I'm confused. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just passing it out to anyone. They're like, whoever wants it can have it. She's like, well, if you want a traditional publishing deal, which I didn't realize you did, but if you want a traditional publishing deal, I can get you one. And I didn't believe her. I was like, you can't get me one. She was like, no, I can. And I was like, right, it's too late though. I'm like, at this point, I'm now six weeks out from publishing this book. I'm already accumulating pre-orders. I just feel like it's too late. And she was like, you can absolutely delay the release of this book for a month and give me that long and I will have a book deal for you. And I thought about it and I really beat myself up on it because I was like, no, I don't want to go back on that release date that I gave people and people are going to be cross and I don't want to lose the interest that I've garnered. And, um, but my husband was like, will you be able to self-publish a book again in the future? And I said, yes. And he's like, will you be able to traditionally publish one? And he said, I don't know. I said, I don't know. 
how would I know? And he was like, well, then you have to take this chance and just see what out there. You have to throw your line in and see what bites you get because you might not have this opportunity again in the future, but you can always self-publish again. And I was like, you're right. So I, I delayed it for a month. She came back within four weeks, which was shocking. She came out with four weeks with two book deals and I got to pick the book deal that I liked best and I cancelled the release and and now Ledge and Chasm and the next book, the third book, will be traditionally published as part of a three-book deal. And um, that's the very long convoluted story of how Stacey went from book gremlin slash teacher to somewhat professional author. Stacey Book Gremlin is oh. incredible. <laughs> that should be my heard. author name. <laughs> yeah, Stacey actually. Stacey Book Gremlin. We've heard so many stories uh, and all of them are so different um, mm-hmm. of, of author journeys. And I mean, this one just completely blew me out of the water. I had no idea. It's always so interesting to me how there's just infinitely many ways that people can reach the point of actually achieving their goal of being published and how... Yeah things can happen in such surprising ways as well. Yeah. Well, I never thought that this was one of those ways that I could do it and certainly not why I started um, making content, but it is something that I like to bring up to lots of people who hate making social media content but want to be a writer, want to be an author. Sort of like you don't, I understand that hesitation, I understand that, and I don't think social media is a natural skill for everyone and I don't think social media has to be just video sharing but if you don't put yourself out there the world does not know that you're there they do not know about you and your and what it is that you want to do and until you become brave enough to put yourself out there you have no idea what you're going to get out of it and it could be anything by so many other different means Um, even if it's just community connections networking that in itself is invaluable. There are so many different ways that authors are being acquired now. It's mm. so different than what it was even 10 years ago. It's really been flipped on its head where suddenly rather than these publishing houses having all these manuscripts funneled through them and then digging through it, these publishing houses and these agents are realising that they can quite literally headhunt someone online and that that's a much more efficient way of acquiring an author and so all of this is sort of being flipped on its head because of social media and it's really interesting I don't know that it's necessarily like 100% a great thing but it's an interesting thing and um, it's it's one of those things we have no control over it we have to roll with the punches we can sit here and and gripe and groan about how much we don't like social media and I was definitely one of those people before but we also have to decide at some point whether we're going to jump in the mix and see what happens I was watching this video earlier about, I think it was like a Trevor Noah clip, probably on TikTok, where he was interviewing somebody and I don't remember who it was. And he asked, what is the kind of common factor of people who achieve success, whatever that success looks like to them? And the answer he got was, it's people knowing where they want to go. So whatever it takes for you to actually reach that point, once you know where you're going, then you have to make sure that your every choice that you make and every every time you reach a point where you have to make a decision you're always deciding to move in the direction that you're headed for and just a lot of people don't know exactly what it is that they're that they're aiming for I think when you're a writer you generally know that even if you don't know Mm. how you want to be published you generally want to be published 
And yeah. once you've kind of defined that for yourself, I think that was a very interesting take on, and, and that's how I think about social media. I think about it as one of those things that you just, you have to do because it's, it's in that path, yeah. you know, and it's kind it's of a hurdle. way towards, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Totally agree. And I love the way that that was phrased as well, because it's the truth. The other funny thing that I've realized about writers and authors generally is that we're not almost every single time I encounter another writer, author, we don't want to be published because we want to be super rich. We want to be published, like being super rich would be great, but that's really, it's really not like the motivating thing. We're not, it's not this thing that we're doing and we're slogging through in the hopes that we get that, like, because we want money. It's not the money that we want. It's the writing that we want. We want to be able to spend actual time doing this. And the only way that we can spend real amounts of time and energy and focus in doing this is if we're allowed to make money from it so that we can sustain ourselves in the rest of the life so that we can keep doing it. Basically, our jobs are like this thing that are in the way of this thing that we want to do. <laughs> that's how it that's how it feels for lots mm-hmm. of us. And that's not to say again that like our jobs that we have outside of this, our real jobs as most of us call it you know, that, that they're not jobs that we don't love. We might very well do, but it doesn't, oftentimes it doesn't take away from the fact that we love to write, yeah. that mm-hmm. we love this, that we love authoring, that we love creating story, that we wish we could do more of it. The only way that we're going to be able to do more of it is if we're compensated for it. And the majority of us, we're willing to be compensated this much, just a small amount, if it means that we can keep doing it. And I think that's it's it's different from someone who flips houses or goes into the stock market. They're doing those because they want riches, right? Like they're like they're hoping yeah. for this big jackpot at the end of it, not necessarily because they have a passion for it. And um like artists and writers are different. Like it's the opposite. Yeah. Like we're hoping that we get enough money, just enough that we can <laughs> just keep been doing ruined by capitalism. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Most we things really have been. <laughs> But <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think I think you know, that's it's, true. Just enough. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We're we're literally just seeking more writing. That's what we want. We want more writing. We want more time to write. We want, but we can't do that unless we can also feed ourselves. So <laughs> it's <laughs> exactly a tr- so. it's a tricky one to navigate. Yeah, <laughs> it's tough out here. It is know, human. Being a human is like it's not easy. Okay, I have one more question before we jump into the fun ones. I was just fascinated by your choice to write a story in such a kind of a story with a lot of cold in it when you come from Mm -hmm. Australia. And to me, it was just a a question of like, are you um, a writer who needs to be kind of surrounded by a certain type of atmosphere to feel like you can, can write that type of story? How do you get inspired or into the zone of writing a story which is so different from your surroundings and and not necessarily that that's a bad thing because I also write things which are totally different to where I am in a space but how do you put yourself mentally in that space it's literally just a vivid imagination um I've also trained myself to be able to write in weird situations so like I I write in my car while my my kids are at like netball training for example I can write on my lunch breaks at school where there's like a thousand screaming voices around me. I can write at the dinner table at home while the kids are running around. Um, I've really just trained myself to be able to do that. 
Um, I prefer there to be as little noise as possible, but that's what these bad boys are for. Um, these headphones stuck to my head for those <laughs> of you that can't see me. But as to uh, the atmosphere that's in Ledge, so Ledge is set on it like this icy mountain shelf, right? And uh, lots of the story is the main character, Dawson, journeying through this tundra landscape. So it's very cold, very icy. And I live in, I live in like sunny Gold Coast, Australia, where it's hot and humid almost all the time. So I get this question a lot, but I just don't need to be in a similar atmosphere. I don't need to see it. I can be inspired by Pinterest boards and that will be enough for me to carry on through an entire story. But I do know that uh, every book that I have written and loved writing and it has like I've been able to flow with the writing and it's come out really naturally and I haven't battled through it and I haven't lost interest. It's because I've paid very close attention to the world building and I almost always write fantasy, but the times that I haven't, those books have failed. I've gotten halfway through it and I've just lost interest. And so they've remained unfinished sitting on my desktop. But the fantasy ones are the ones that I finish. And the more visceral the world building is, um, the more engaged I am, the, the easier it is for me to immerse myself in it when I am writing. So I like to flesh it out properly and I like to make sure that it, it's specific and it is visceral so in in ledge it's that icy cold um tundra and I try and put lots of that sensory language in there uh for another book that I'm writing at the moment it's more of a Victorian it's um Victorian-esque so it's very much emulating yeah old Victorian era England like slum houses type thing and so I did a lot of research into that and watch lots of documentaries and things not because I was planning to write this book just because somehow I got lost down a rabbit hole with it and after watching all of this stuff I was like I'm definitely writing a book that's set in a similar place because that to me is like the best fodder I could possibly hope for to build a world and and that's how writing just works for me it starts from the world first and then I sort of add characters into it so, yeah, I I guess it's just I, I really don't need anything else on the outside of me. I just need to shut my brain off for a little bit and be able to get back into that. And if I can do that, then I can write anywhere with anything going on around me, really, uh, as long as I can escape back into that world. If I can find some kind of quiet within myself, then I can usually manage it. Um, but there's plenty of times where I just can't, when my head's just buzzing, it's too loud and I can't focus and it and it doesn't work properly for me in that moment I usually just come back to it a little bit later and it's there again it's always something that I can get myself back into I love that because a huge well almost all of what we do requires us to be able to tune into the right state of mind and so if you if you know and understand yourself and understand what it takes for you to be able to kind of put yourself into that state so that you can write and if you know your your visual you can refer to your Pinterest boards and you don't need to be um, yeah you know in, in a different state then I think that's really powerful to know for yourself and we talk about this sometimes on the podcast as well just like kind of knowing the things that drive you the things that get your butt in the chair and when can you write and what times of the day are you most productive and just like little things like that which nobody else can tell you but you need to kind of be aware for yourself and and pay attention to so that you can learn how to be productive in that way creatively yeah I totally agree yeah absolutely it's so so helpful to know what works for you and what doesn't and also to stop pushing against something that you know full well is not going to work because the amount of hours that I've wasted sitting at the keyboard where an hour has passed and I've written 50 words 
you know, it's not coming and I'm unfocused and distracted and there's too much other stuff going on either in my brain or outside of it and it's just not allowing me to sit down right now. And the truth is that almost every single time, if I come back to it two hours later, it it it, it comes naturally again and it's all fine. Like I've, I've learned to, to not fight so hard against that barrier and to just take a step away from it for a bit and take a break and take a breather and come back to it again later and it will most likely I, I tell my husband I usually say it's there or it's not there mm-hmm. so he'll see me walk into my office or sit down at the dining table and then I'll just go it's not there and hop out and he's like not there today and I'm like not there and then mm-hmm. an hour later I'll just be sitting there and go oh there it is and I'll just get back <laughs> the laptop so yeah it's like for some reason for me it feels like a switch in my brain that turns mm-hmm. on and turns off uh, which is inconvenient if I have a space of time where I can sit down and write and it's not yeah. there because I'm like, but come on, those kids are going to be home from school any minute. Come <laughs> on, let's do, you know, it's really frustrating. But I, I've i learned not to keep pushing against it. Instead, just use that time to do something else. So that's the time where I go, okay, well, the writing's not coming, but I'll make some social media content. Like I'll, I'll mm-hmm. use this time um, to the best of my advantage. Um and I'm terrible at sitting down and relaxing. It's not a thing that I've like learned how to do properly in adulthood. So I usually just find something that is helpful that I can that I can do in that time. And I'll just come back to the writing again later, usually at like 10 o'clock at night. Well, okay. I don't know if this is, I, I want to share this because I think it'll be useful for everybody listening as well. Maybe it's something you know already, but there's a little trick that you can do with your brain where if you're doing something and this, usually people do it when they're learning something new, but actually I think it works really well when you're writing because you're doing something new. So you're creating something new and almost teaching it to yourself as you write. And what you do is you just, if you get stuck, you just stop and you just shut your eyes for like a minimum of 10 seconds and your brain will start like replaying all of those things like subconsciously you're not you don't have to think about it or anything you just shut down for like 10 seconds and then when you come back to it you will be kind of deeper into it in a fresher way just because it's processed it differently sort of like if you would go off and take a walk or if you would take a nap and yeah. come back the next day um so like a minimum of 10 seconds and so if you're like if you don't want to come back to your laptop at 10 p.m. And for everybody listening who might not be <laughs> wanting to do that either, um, I do it. I come back. And I wouldn't I recommend it. Late, <laughs> like... Yeah, I wouldn't recommend um, it. Yeah, maybe that's a trick people can try. I love that. I am going to try it now because I do think that my brain needs distance. Hmm. Yeah, it's such a short process. Thing, so, yeah. Yeah, but I, I really like that. Yeah, you've uh, stumbled into a podcast where one of us is a therapist and one of us is a neuroscientist. <laughs> so. so we have a random Yeah, you guys can you. psychoanalyze me together. It'll be so fun. We just, we spend actually, time you know doing that don't. I actually, I actually don't want to know that much honesty about myself. I think no. that would be. <laughs> you know what, Stacey, though? I'm going to tell you as a, as a, just a human, I think you're great. So Oh, thanks, Courtney. That's so sweet. You're welcome. You're welcome. <laughs> I do. I honestly, I feel like we could talk like for a million years. Did you years. guys hear that? Oh, no. What was it? That was my husband in the background. He goes, no, she's not. <laughs> if if he wants to come and say hi, he totally, he totally can. 
Absolutely we had, You can tell show. him to cameo. We, uh, we had Hannah Witten's husband no. came on and cameoed with like Christmas cookies. It's yeah, so it was funny. really cute. If yeah. he comes in here, he won't actually leave. <laughs> okay. He's like not ever. invited then. No. And then... <laughs> And then I've opened the gateway and every time he knows mm. that I'm doing something like this, you have he's to gonna be like, Do they need basically. me? We yes. Yeah. Yes, we, we do understand Get boundaries out. here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, but I was gonna say, like, I really do feel like we could talk forever and I wanna have you on like a bajillion times. So is that okay with you? <laughs> Absolutely. Okay. You just let great. me know when and where, baby. I'm here. All right, great, great. Put you in and- that diary. We'll get the time right this time. Excellent. Excellent. (laughs) Yes. So uh, since since I have uh, your recorded commitment, um, we can move on to um, to some of our next questions here, um, because as as Gabby said, we did get the time wrong and you've been so lovely and patient with us and fantastic. And I don't care what Michael says. So (laughs) (laughs) he doesn't know me. He doesn't know me the way you guys know me. That's right. That's right. I thought so. (laughs) Just, yeah, it ain't as deep as it is with us. So that's good. Um, (laughs) (laughs) All right, Gabby, do you want to ask our our story beast question? Yeah. So we asked you what your story beast was. I'm going to read it out and then we'll have a little chat about it. So you said because I've forgotten what I wrote. (laughs) Excellent. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Your story beast is a dark, devious potions master living in a dilapidated Victorian townhouse full of weird smells and jars of pickled things. All right. I need to know what are the weird smells? What are the pickled things? Specifically. (laughs) What are the weird smells? I feel like they're definitely like fungi based. Like they're not good. (laughs) Okay. You know? but like you know, a, like those weird like, smells that are so like not good, they are good. Is it like that? Like stinky cheese? Yeah, maybe. Like I, okay. I do like stinky <laughs> cheese, but I feel like these smells are specifically to ward away anyone. You know, mm. like they're okay. like they're there. Michael. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. <laughs> That's why I said fungi because he hates mushrooms. Yeah, like I, I really think like they're there specifically. That's what it feels. I, I remember writing this and I put so much time and effort in. I was like, oh hell yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna put some serious focus into what would I be. And um, I remember thinking like, when I'm writing, what do I feel like? And I do feel like someone who's like, don't talk to me. <laughs> like that's what I just feel like. I go, no, no one can touch me. But I can't say that outwardly, right? Because I have to be a lovely parent. So if I've got the kids running around that are like, mom, like I still like my insides going away. But like my outside has to be like, yes, darling. Um, but that's how it feels on the inside. <laughs> so I just imagine me as like, if you, if I could just, I'm not in like the right outfit, but if I had like a cape that went all the way up over my head and it was just me with a lantern in my Victorian house and someone came to the door and knocked on it, like let's just say it was like, I don't know, like someone from the parish, one of the flock members, like they've just come along with their Bible or whatever and because they know I'm some kind of heretic and they knock on the door and I open it, like that would be me with my lantern and my long fingernails with my potions and I'd just be like, away, <laughs> and then they'd run away. Like that would be me. That's me as I'm writing. Oh, my gosh. Well, I also feel like not only is this your story beast, this could totally be your <laughs> Halloween costume. <laughs> Actually, yeah. 
It definitely could. Like, I straight up do it instead of a picture. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. I mean, that would be pretty easy to create. I do like an easy Halloween costume. I feel like, okay, but you need to have, like, you also, (laughs) you need to have weird smells with you for sure. (laughs) Okay, but what are the pickled things? Because you can have, like, your jaws of pickled things, like, dangling off your arms. I don't know. I, I think I think definitely like the um the organs of my enemies for sure like I would if I if I was in a situation where um I had the kind of enemies that FMCs have or any mm-hmm. any main character has in a fantasy novel if I had the same caliber of enemy are you seriously telling me that after you fell that motherfucker you're not going to want to pickle something obviously you're going to want to pickle something like you need some kind of trophy Connie, you need to pull me? out your mug. She's got a, Courtney's got the perfect mug and it says blood of my enemies. Yes. And yeah, it's perfect. fantastic. See, just... Yeah, perfect. Okay. Well, so I... love I... that for you, Connie. <laughs> yeah. I, I say you. So you I need like a pickled, pickled organs of my enemies. I'm just saying that people don't drink the blood from the skulls of their enemies anymore and that's something that's lacking it's, in our society. It's outrageous. Yeah. Probably outrageous. another product Villains of capitalism. are really lacking these days. I don't know. <laughs> Let's let's blame capitalism. <laughs> I I I think it's clearly clearly. I actually um this is not really on topic, but since we're going for like blood and enemies, I was like, oh, I just I this is a different dagger than the last time, Gabby. Um, How many daggers do you have? I actually had like this like because I I cleaned today, Stacy. Which um you don't know me very well. Um, you will because we're best friends now. We're but, best friends um, now. We are best friends now, but like, do you ever have like this feeling? You're like, I didn't realize how many weapons I had. Like, I I have a lot of daggers, and I was like, well, I'm now realizing that I I wish I had that problem. <laughs> that sounds like a problem that I would like to have. I think I think Tell it's a problem more. you could make. You could create your own really problems. good at making problems. Yeah, me I'm too. really good at creating problems. <laughs> I mean. Amazon.com.au. I feel like that's just around the corner. I I think so too. How many daggers do you have? I have at least four. I have scissors that are also like daggers, and then I have yeah dagger life. And then I have I have a sword that my partner gave me a couple Christmases ago, and I was like, gosh, what am I even doing? It's not on my wall yet, and I feel like I've failed myself. What are you doing? What, I'm not, not only the right you failed yourself, but you failed Gabby and you failed me. Yeah, I know. And I, I also know. expect you to have a skull from one of your enemies so that you can replace that mug now. Because I, I so actually, funny. okay, this will this will be my my personal project. I will get back to both of you on this, but I will get a skull and I'll send you a collection of all my weaponry. Uh, what else do I need to do? Stacy, you clearly yeah. need to do this as well. I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't have weaponry per but se. But you want it. I do have like witchy stuff, but I feel like mm. maybe I should get into the more weaponry style decor. I think so. I'm sure Michael will be fine with it. Yeah. yeah. I like it. I do have an axe. You, you see? Someone's, <gasps> I do have an axe. I do have an axe. <sighs> I think that's the extent of my weaponry, though. Unfortunately. Mm. I just have this sassy attitude. That's right. That's, it. that's a good weapon, though. A cutting wit. <laughs> Sharp wit. Yes, yes. Okay, so um now for the ultimate question. Are you ready? I am ready. Okay, I'm scared. 
yeah yeah it's, no, it's, 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 no you really this, approach that with a lot of yeah this is this you is approach that with your whole chest you're not going to be the same after this stacy um what is your favorite what is your favorite snack oh it's so hard right now because i'm like being healthy oh i hate that <laughs> no this is really um, what's your favorite not what should be your favorite okay so this is what i get for myself like when whenever I'm like, I'm writing, but I'm starting to get a bit lethargic, but I want to keep writing. So I'm like, I'm just going to go get me a quick pick me up. So this is my thing. I go get myself a black cup of tea with no sugar, but then I get like an entire packet of Tim Tams, which is an Australian biscuit. I don't know if you've heard of it, yes. but it's, um, yeah, they, so they come in all kinds of different flavors now, but they're rectangular. So what you do is you have to bite off like the top corner and then the bottom diagonal corner, and you have to drink your cup of tea through the Tim Tam. What? Yeah, and it makes the Tim Tam. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And you use the Tim Tam like a straw. And then because the water's boiling, obviously, because it's tea, it makes the Tim Tam go like it, it, it ruins the integrity of the Tim Tam. But then when you eat it, the Tim Tam like melts and mm. it's delicious. And then you get the next Tim Tam out and you do it again until the entire packet of Tim Tams is gone. Oh, and by the end great. of it, you're like a kilogram heavier, but so much happier. You are perfect for this podcast. Perfect. Yeah, you really are. <laughs> Hundred percent. I really, I really do recommend it. And then after that, I'm full of sugar and and you're and I ride away. Writing. I ride away into the night. Yeah, I'm ready. Oh my gosh, I feel like I need. I I don't know if the U.S. has any of these, but I've been through your grocery aisles recently. You basically have an entire aisle that's just dedicated to biscuits. You guys call them <laughs> cookies. But you just have a whole, whole aisle biscuits. dedicated to cookies. Biscuits, Wait, yeah, you were biscuits. you were here? Where were you? Yeah, I was in Texas. I went to uh, see. Uh, we we had a couple of um, publicity events, but I saw my my very lovely uh, book friends that I've met online um, in the last two years. One of them is you might know some of them. Hannah, Nicole, May is one of them. Caven, assistant to the villain. Um, assistant to the villain yeah that's Hannah then- Cave Haven who is like our book top Cassian um <laughs> and Amber um literary Libra her real name is Sam though and then Maggie so they were they're sort of like my, my group of gal pals and we've been zooming together every month for a year now we have a group chat that has about 400 messages passed back and forth every day it's exhausting I'm so <laughs> sick of them and uh, we thought like it would be so fun if we all got together. And um, I, but I'm all the way in Australia. They're all in the states. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of our friends lives in Texas, and she was like, "I can set us. We're all writers as well, so we like, we could set up these book events and do some publicity stuff." And I, I was like, "That sounds exactly like a tax write-off." I mean, <laughs> so fantastic. I, yeah, and so I, I hopped on the plane and I went over there for a week and they took me shopping at a grocery store called H-E-B in Texas, which is like the Texas, like their favourite grocery store or whatever. It's I mean, it exists in Texas. It was very Texan of them to be like, this is our grocery store and we're not sharing it. Like they're, they're very territorial over there. There was a guy standing at the door with like a shotgun just, no, there wasn't. Um but yeah, they so they took me to all the, the the Texas things, and it was really fun. And I went down the grocery, I went down the the aisles, just like this, going, "Oh my god, 
you have an entire cereal aisle. Tell me in what world you need an entire aisle just for cereal. Just cereal, really? I mean, we're like, kind of that... back we're kind of back to the beginning where we were talking about capitalism, I feel like. Yeah, true. But they made me taste <laughs> like they bought a couple of boxes of cereal and they're like, you, you have to try these cereals because I was which going, ones? like looking and they're like, what cereal do you want? And I was like, oh, I don't know. Like, which one do you think I should get? They're like, well, what do you like? And I was like, I guarantee you that, that the cereal I say, you do not, like, the, it won't be the same. And they're like, well, do you like Captain Crunch? And I'm like, never heard of her. And <laughs> they're like, cinnamon, cinnamon toast, what? Yeah. Just a cinnamon one. The cinnamon toast crunch, cinnamon the taste to- you can see. Cinnamon- <laughs> okay. <laughs> cinnamon toast crunch. They like cinnamon toast crunch. You like cinnamon toast crunch? I have like, no idea I what's like happening. Cinnamon. I don't, I don't I- know American snacks, so I'll just go with it. <laughs> I didn't either. So they're like, I, I was like, I like cinnamon. And they're like, perfect. She's all yours. And they made me eat these things and I'm eating them. And I'm like, this is just sugar. I need you to know <laughs> that this is just yeah, a very cereal. small piece of wheat. And it's just, and they're like, it's breakfast. I'm like... <laughs> Guys, I need you. American. At the same time, these are the same bitches that these are the same bitches that we're we're eating lunch, and they're like, "I have IBS, so I need to make sure that I'm careful." I'm like, "You don't have IBS. Do you know what you have? You have have cinnamon toast crunch. You have problems for sure, but it's not your body's fault. (laughs) It's your snacks. Blaming." Yeah, you know, I'm like, I'm walking down your grocery aisle going, nope, that's not it. It's not the IBS. I promise. <laughs> I'm not a health nut by any means, but I guarantee you that you bring any Australian down these aisles and they will be shocked and appalled by what's going on here. Why are I there so many different cereal brands? I didn't realize that would be weird for for others. I'm just so used to the fact that we have all of that that I'm like, yeah. Ultra. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. <laughs> yeah. So we went to a, a diet, this soft track, you can stop me at any point. We went to a diner and they were like, have you ever had chicken waffles? And I was like, don't understand those two words together. Chicken and waffles. And Or chicken yeah, waffles. Again, don't understand Ch- those two words chicken together. Chicken waffles? Chick- like, chicken waffles. I'm learning so they're a like, lot we, here you have right to have, now. Yeah, they're like, you have to have chicken waffles. And so we all got chicken waffles, or the majority of us did. And it was, they were like, it's delicious, like it's fried chicken and waffles. And I'm like, okay, I understand that Americans, like they like to combine sweet and savory together. I get it. So, yes, totally willing to try it. And it was delicious, but it was also chicken and waffles with a lot of maple syrup and something called brown sugar butter. And I was like, and these are the same girls who were like, I have IBS. Nom, 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 nom. I'm like, you don't. You have a belly full of fried chicken waffles maple syrup and brown sugar butter uh, and captain crunch <laughs> and captain crunch <laughs> like what this is a this this is a heart attack <laughs> i yeah. walked around feeling happy and satisfied and slightly ill the entire time i was there like they were really like this is the american way you need to walk around feeling happy and satisfied and slightly ill <laughs> oh no hmm. i had so much fun it was honestly like the best trip of my life though i had a, an enormous amount of fun it was great well then you have to come back and eat more of oh, that for sure i'd love obviously to. Yeah, absolutely <laughs> definitely coming back just for the chicken waffles alone <laughs> You know, if you like take a picture of ledge near them, I wonder if you can actually have it as a tax tax write off. 
tax write-off. Yeah. Yeah. If I just like add some chicken waffles into the story even and just be like, this was research. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Recipe in the back. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just randomly just mention it nowhere in the story and in the back just put Dawson's favorite meal. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god. She gosh. doesn't like to cook. So it's gonna be <laughs> gonna be interesting. I love it. I love it. And I love this, Stacy. This was fantastic. Yeah, thank you so much for joining That's us. That's so much fun. Thank you. It was a delight. I can't wait for all of us to um for me to come in and stay at your houses and meet your Honestly, family. Stacey, you, you totally can. You totally can. Excellent. I'm on my way. <laughs> Write it off. It'll be fine. Yeah. I, I have a spare bedroom. I've got a dog who is... You've got I, four daggers. Everything's yes, going to be great. And a sword. She also has and a sword. And a sword. And a sword. Okay. Okay. On the real, we could all meet and then take really fun pictures. My partner is a photographer. I'm so we glad could you look said majestic. pictures. I was wondering where that sentence was going. <laughs> I was like, take what? What are we going to take? Pictures. <laughs> pictures okay hearts if you could hearts and ears to pickle but also we can take pictures right and if you could just clear some space on your family wall and just put my photo up there i will i will i will it's fantastic gabby gabby and i deserve a place in your house we do (laughs) i already have a place in her dog's heart yeah yeah okay you do that's so sweet yeah can you please play this for your dog so that it recognizes my voice yes i will when i come over here it will already love me well more than gabby that's important to me (laughs) i i'm sure he was like my dog is gonna hate you she hates everyone and then she ran into my arms and she started licking me and i was like she loves me yeah that's so validating for you isn't it yeah yeah (laughs) when animals do that and you're like Yes, I'm the chosen one. (laughs) I totally felt like the chosen one. Yes, yes. (laughs)